From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, May 30th. The podcast Thirst Gap, produced by KUNC, examines how the Southwest is adapting to water shortages as climate change causes the region to warm up and dry out. The series asks, how can we learn to live with less on the Colorado River? It's a timely question for those here in Moab and throughout the river's entire watershed. Host Luke Runyon has years of experience covering the Colorado River, and he puts it to use to tell the stories of the people and the places grappling with limited water supplies. So, Luke, you are a familiar voice on KZMU News. Um, Ever since we started this news effort at KZMU five years ago, we've aired your stories um, through our partnership with KUNC. And we hear reporting from the science on the river to um, people on the river to politics on the river. Um, and it's told in in shorter formats, right, in, in news reports. Um, so what has it been like for you to spend more time with this subject in a longer format in this six-part podcast series? You know, why tell the story of the Colorado River this way? Yeah, I mean, most of our coverage is these like short feature stories or short breaking news spots. And so it can feel really challenging sometimes to like distill all of what you know into that short little window of of time. Um, And so part of it for me, you know, just as a as an audio journalist, it was really nice to, uh, you know, kind of experiment with narrative and, um, you know, the different structures that you can use when you're doing longer form reporting. Um, so part of it was just I needed a challenge personally and professionally, like I needed to take on a, a larger project. Um, but then also, you know, really the reporting for the podcast originally started in like the summer of 2021. And then I went on leave to do a fellowship at the University of Colorado. And uh when I came back to the station, I really started working on the project in earnest last summer. And I really wanted to, you know, delve into some of these huge issues that the river was facing. Um, you know, these last couple of years on the Colorado River have been pretty dire. Uh, you know, looking at some of the projections for these large reservoirs, I think people were really worried and anxious, and the audience was really craving like a deep dive into some of these issues. And so, I wanted to be able to to provide that. Well, I definitely think you did. Um, as an aside, you know, I have a friend that visits Moab um, pretty regularly from the East Coast. In this last visit. Uh, he asked me, hey, what's going on with this crisis in the Colorado River? (laughs) And, um, you know, the news had gotten to him, not through me, amazingly, um, that there is a crisis on the Colorado River, and he was just beginning to open his eyes to it. And I sent him your podcast right away, because I do think that it tells the story of where we are right now. And it does it in a way where you have people, people and landscapes at the center of that story. So it's already been useful. Well, thanks. I'm glad it's been useful, even just passing it off to your friends. I mean, that's great. That's that's what I want. I want people to be able to be like, okay, I feel like I can grasp this issue a little bit better. Maybe don't know every single detail and nuance, but I can at least like follow the broad strokes of how we got into this problem. 
you know, let's zoom into, you know, one of the episodes. Um, the first episode I listened to um, was episode three. I couldn't help myself. I know that you spent time putting this together in uh, correct order. But episode three is the Lake Powell episode. And of course, being in Moab, my ears go directly there. You know, in the Lake Powell episode, you spend time with some houseboaters, um, people who have been boating on Lake Powell for decades. And you also spend time with people who have been running the river ahead of Lake Powell for decades. Um, People in Moab will likely know them, Mike DeHoff and Pete Lefebvre of the Returning Rapids Project. They are friends and neighbors here in Moab. And these two, these two stories between houseboaters and river runners have a little bit of conflict here. Um, so tell us why you used Lake Powell as the backdrop to discuss recreation on the Colorado River. What's always been so fascinating to me about Lake Powell is just how polarizing it is as a place. You know, you can bring it up in conversation in the West and people either love it or hate it. There's very little in between um, on how people feel about Lake Powell. And for a lot of people, it is this kind of like, you know, I, I wanted to spend time with the houseboaters because for them, this is the place that they associate with like the happiest memories of their life. And it holds this really important place in their heart. And this is kind of a quick aside, but I have um, uh, a Google alert set up for Lake Powell. And so many people list it in their obituaries as, you know, happy memories at Lake Powell, like loved going to Lake Powell. So that has always been really interesting to me. Like this place has a pull for some people, like a really emotional, strong pull. Um, But then at the same time, many other people see that place and they despise it. They hate it. They think it's this disgusting still water reservoir that stinks with dead fish and like want nothing to do with it and think it should go away. And those two things, like the fact that people can look at the same thing, like the same place, the same like set of facts and have such different takeaways um, and feelings about it like that to me is fascinating and that's why I wanted to spend time at Lake Powell to explore that Um, because it is changing like the place itself has changed quite a bit as those water levels had gone down and I know that people were grappling with how to feel about that in real time you know in the summer of 2021 the reservoir was declining quite a bit Um, and I think people were feeling like this existential dread about the whole thing. It's like, what if this place goes away? Like, how do we feel about that? Some people were excited and some people were were dreading it. You know, there was a really interesting moment in this episode related to that conflict, to that question, where Mike DeHoff from the Returning Rapids Project talks about his grandfather. Like, my grandpa loved Lake Powell, but before he died, a regular part of the conversation was, When's that reservoir going to fill back up again so I could go see my favorite places? Um, and I, at some point, would be thinking, when's that reservoir going to go away so I could see these rapids coming back? That was just like the perfect distillation of how people feel about this. Um, you know, really, it's it's a giant reservoir. It's for use. Its uses of water are downstream. You know, it was built to be this kind of insurance policy for the upper basin states to meet their downstream obligations. But 
in creating this place, you also, um, you know, created this kind of like recreation haven for, um, for all of these different people. And yeah, I, I love that comment that he made. I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's it. That's what makes people have such different takeaways of the same place. The series, you know, takes us up and down the Colorado River watershed. Um, so going to another episode, um, you take us to Fruta, Colorado. This is episode two, where we meet a farming family and we hear about the more complicated details of water rights and farming. And um, we hear about the trade-offs that these farmers are making um, when they are incentivized to not farm. Um, tell us a little bit about this this episode, which is also um, pretty much in Moab's neck of the woods, based in Fruta, Colorado. Yeah, so that episode focuses on these kind of experimental conservation programs that were tested out, not just in, in the Grand Valley in Colorado, but throughout other parts of the Colorado River Basin. And these were several years ago. Um, really, there was this kind of increasing pressure on agriculture to really look at how do you go about reducing the amount of water that is used in farming uh, and like what would be the tools to do that. And so there were these programs that were rolled out and they basically pay farmers not to farm. Um, And the idea is that if you can do that, you take the water that they would have used and use it to fill up these large reservoirs that were really declining to critically low levels. And I think it's one of those issues that it sounds easy on its face. It's like, oh, you just, you pay a farmer not to farm, you save the water and like the reservoir recovers and like simple as that. But what we found is these conservation programs have all kinds of knock-on effects, all sorts of unintended consequences that it's really hard to take into account when you're just like giving a direct payment to a farmer. Um, You know, they can have these sort of ripple effects where, you know, it can hurt the local ag economy. I know farmers in the Grand Valley complained about, you know, dust issues with some of these fallowed fields. Um, You know, there's been talk of these kinds of programs maybe incentivizing private investment in water rights and looking at, you know, hedge funds and private equity funds moving into some of these farm communities and offering farmers money for their land and water in order to try and profit off of it. So, you know, there's all sorts of unintended consequences that come with a program like this. And and we delved into a little bit of them in that episode. You know, you said something in this series along the lines of If we don't make decisions related to water and the Colorado River, the river is going to decide for us. I thought that was a really important statement. So before we started recording, you talked a little bit about how you wanted this series to have hope in it. So where are you right now as a veteran Colorado River beat reporter? Do we have agency here or do you think that the Colorado River is going to make decisions for us? I think the river is forcing our hand. Um, We saw that over the last few years. You know, really, when I first started covering this issue in 2017, you know, what I heard from the people in power was, we can see the problem off in the distance, but we don't think it's here just yet. Like the crisis is not at our doorstep, but we can see it coming. And what I started to hear over the last two years is like, we are in the crisis now. Like, it's not far off in the distance. It's happening right now. Um, And so that's been a change in in the conversation just since I've been covering the issue. 
Um, I hope that when people listen to the series, they walk away with feeling like we have agency in this problem. Like we have the ability to make some hard decisions, to make some choices about our demand for water. You know, really the Colorado River issue right now is a supply and demand imbalance. The supply is shrinking. Our demands have to decline as well in order to match that declining supply. Um, And we have the ability to do that. Like we have the ability to come to the negotiating table to come up with agreements that reduce our demand for water. And we just saw that recently. You know, we've got this new this new proposal from California, Arizona and Nevada uh, to reduce water use in those states over the next three years. And so that's that's really, I think, like where you can find the optimism on the river is feeling like this isn't just something that's happening to us. We have the ability to like make some hard choices, make some hard decisions about how do we go about using less water. You know, we're currently in a high water year. We've had record snowpacks um, across the region. So I'm curious, you know, how has this one high water year affected these conversations? Do you think people are still taking this seriously, especially those who do have that agency to do something about it? Well, I, I guess it depends on who we're talking about. If you're talking about like the policymakers on the river, the sense of the sense of urgency among all of those people went down. Like <laughs> it decreased because we got a lot more water. Um, like if we had not had a wet winter this past winter, things were looking very, very dire on the Colorado River. And if we had had even a normal year or slightly below normal thing, it didn't even have to be very dry for things to look like they were going to be getting bad on the river. Uh, and so this, the snowpack this year, I mean, it it changed a lot of the conversation about like where we need to be in river management and put off some of those hard decisions for another year um, because people just didn't feel the same sort of pressure to, to actually make those hard decisions. Okay, so you're seeing um, some policymakers kick a can for this year. Are there any other people or organizations who are not looking to do that, I suppose, who are still you know, raising alarm bells this year? The people who work on the river day in and day out, I think know that you get one wet year, it doesn't solve a string of three dry years in a row. It helps to provide a little bit of certainty for a short amount of time, but these extremely hard conversations of how do we go about using less water permanently, not just on a temporary basis, those conversations are beginning to ramp up now because we have this temporary solution that's been put forward by the three lower basin states. I think now you're going to have a lot more discussion about like, okay, maybe now we actually can think long term about what this what this river actually needs and ha- how we can go about relying on it less. So in your view, you know, high water coupled with this temporary measure from the lower basin states bought us a little bit of time um, to do that long-term visioning work. Hopefully. I mean, that's the goal. And, you know, I've heard that from the the leaders on the river in the past that, you know, all it takes is one agreement and now we can have the like long-term discussion. Well, hopefully this is the one where that's actually the case. 
Luke Runyon, the host of a new podcast from KUNC called Thirst Gap. It's a six-part series that explores if and how we can learn to live with less water on the Colorado River. We'll link to it in our show notes. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, May 30th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.